Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We are in a series called Empowered. And what we're looking at is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we've been kind of slowly working our way through uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And we're talking about the gift list. In fact, I want to read that for us right now, and you can read along with me on the screen. And um, we are going to be talking through the next set of gifts, but I'm going to read this for us. We're going to start in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what it says. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. So we're working through the gift list, and I'm just going to give you a heads up that the the gifts that we're talking about today can be some of the most controversial gifts of the Spirit that that people talk about in modern life. We're going to be talking about specifically prophecy and discernment, prophecy and discernment. And depending on your background, some of you might come from a Catholic background, and in, in the Catholic Church, there's, there's, um, there's a using of spiritual gifts in that, in that background. Some of you might come from more of a, a, a cessationist background. That could have been a different flavor of, of Protestantism where you were probably taught or maybe it was just sort of generally uh, assumed that these things aren't happening anymore. Especially things like a revelatory gift of prophecy. Right, you, you, you kind of, that, that might be your background, okay? And so we're all coming together from different places and different backgrounds. Some of you are like, I, I'm just brand new to this whole Jesus thing, and I don't know like at all what you're talking about. That's great too. What we're doing is we're walking through scripture, and we are looking at what does it tell us about this in our conviction Okay, and we, we know there are lots of people that have different convictions about this subject. Our conviction from the Word of God is that all the gifts of the Spirit are still active in the church today, and that He's still distributing gifts to each person, that there is, there is no uh, 
clause in here that says this will end when the, the apostolic age is completed or when the canon of scripture is canonized, right? We, we believe that when the perfect comes, which is Jesus Christ splitting open the clouds and coming down, that's the perfect coming. And up until that time, in this age that we're in, this is the last days from Pentecost to when Jesus returns. These are the last days. And in this time period, we should be expecting in the body of Christ that he's still revealing. He's still using the gifts that we read about here in Scripture. But, big but, you may have had a crazy experience and you were like, never again. Right? We understand that. And what we're saying is that we want to hold up the standard of the word and we want to say, Lord, whatever our experience is, good, bad, or non-existent, we want to ask, Lord, would you please bring our experience up to the level of your word? What we don't want to do is say, I had a bad experience, or I don't even know about all that, and I'm going to just dismiss everything the scripture says about it and lower the scriptures to our experience, okay? Very, very important. If we're going to be serious about the revelation of God in the Holy Scriptures, then we need to take serious these particular gifts. And what I don't want to do today is really preach something at you. I want to equip you with a straightforward teaching about the gift of prophecy and the gift of discerning of spirits. Y'all game for that? Good? Awesome. Okay. Let's dive in this morning, and let's begin talking about prophecy. He said this, that each person is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, and then he gets to this in verse 10, prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits. So let's talk about what in the world is prophecy. And here's a definition. I think I have this for you guys on the screen, James. It says this, prophecy is human communication of divine revelation. Telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. This is important. It, it, it is having something come into your mind, your heart, right? In the sense that God reveals something to you and you're just going to communicate it, right? It's, it's like it, I saw a picture and it had a, a human head and there was like an arrow coming down of revelation and then out of the mouth is this prophecy, right? God reveals something and you speak. You're just communicating what God is revealing. And here's what is so beautiful about the gift of prophecy, is that it reveals God's love and his intimate knowledge of people. That's what it does. It reminds us that God is alive. He's the living God. He still speaks. He still reveals. He still cares about individual people. He's using the gifts of his people to communicate that others. It reminds us that he sees, that he's the God who sees everyone. I'm going to share some stories as we go along of how this has been 
just beautifully uh, demonstrated in the life of both uh, our New Testament writers and the scriptures. But I, I just wanted to begin with this. I believe Isaiah 50, chapter 4, is an incredibly uh, important scripture as we think about the role of prophecy. This is talking prophetically about Jesus, the Messiah. But here's what it says. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with a word. To sustain the weary with a word. And what I've seen over and over again is when someone speaks forth what God is revealing to them, oftentimes what happens is that somebody, they just feel like, oh, thank you. Like, I just needed to hear that. You sustained the weary with a word. This is what Jesus does through the gift of prophecy. Now, there's three components of a prophetic word, and, and, and just take, take note of this. The first is the revelation component. This is where God reveals something to a person who has a prophetic, you know, uh, a prophetic revelation from the Lord. It's, he's revealing something to that person, and that revelation is, um, it's true. It's good. It's from God. It's 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 not a it's it doesn't have error in it because God is revealing something. But there's another component. The second component is this. It is interpretation. It's where the person, what, it could be a, a thought that they have, it's a, a mental picture comes to their mind. It's like God reveals something and then they're interpreting, like, what is that that I'm sensing? Okay, that's the second part. And this is where it can, this is the human part where it becomes fallible. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? There's room for error in the interpretation part. Then there's the third part, the application this is when they, they say, the Lord says this, and, and then and you, that person's maybe applying it to you, or you're listening to it, and you're applying, and you're making meaning out of, what do I do with this now? That's the application part. So there's three components, and whenever we talk about prophecy, and they're like, well, that guy said that weird thing to me that one time, and then it never happened. So prophecy is false. No. Something happened between revelation, interpretation, and application that got in the way, but God was revealing something that was right on, but something broke down along the way. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay. There's a quote from Sam Storms, and he, he says it this way, in any particular prophetic utterance, there are at least three elements. There is one, the divine revelation from the Spirit, which in all instances is inspired and infallible. I think I might have this on a slide, James. See if I did. It was a little, yeah, there we go. It says, there is one, the divine revelation from the Spirit, which in all instances is inspired and infallible. There are also, two, the human interpretation of what the revelation means. Finally, there is an attempt to make application to the persons involved. Okay, revelation, Interpretation, application. This is what prophecy is. Now, I want us just to look at what are the purpose and content of, prof of prophetic words in the New Testament. So why would God do this? Why does he reveal it? What's the purpose of this? Well, let, let's look at this in the scripture. The first is this. It's the warning of impending persecution. 
We see this in Acts chapter 21, and there is a prophet by the name of Agabus in the New Testament. We see him in two places in the book of Acts. In Acts 21, he brings a, a belt and he ties his arms around, uh, ties the, the belt around his hands, and he comes to Paul and he says, he says this to Paul. He says, this is, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So Agabus is warning Paul, look, persecution is coming. Now, this is interesting, and we'll talk about it more because there's something else that happens that helps us understand how do we apply prophecy. But that's the first one, warning of impending persecution. And that is a future-oriented word that he's giving him. This is coming. Second way, revelatory insight that draws unbelievers to faith in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25, Paul says, but if all are prophesying... Right, and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he's convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. And Paul's making this point. He's like, look, prophecy is a sign for unbelievers because when they see the power of God revealing things, they're like, whoa, this is the living God, and he's among you. It's to draw unbelievers. In Revelation 19, verses 10, John uh, has this crazy experience with this angel, right? And God's revealing all the end-time things that we talk about and we speculate about. Um, And he says this, that when the the angel, you know, he's there, and, and John is tempted to fall down and worship him, and the angel says, stop, don't do that, don't worship me, I, I'm not God, He says, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. And then he says this, worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Have you all heard that before? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And he's saying, look, this prophetic utterance, right, it's it's tied to revealing Jesus, and we see that he's, he's revealing Jesus with prophetic words, and, and that draws unbelievers to faith in Christ. The second one. Okay, so we have warning of impending persecution. We have a revelatory insight that draws unbelievers to faith in Christ. The third is this, and this is probably the most common way that we use this in the body of Christ today. And it's to strengthen, encourage, and comfort another person. We get that from 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 14, verse 3. He says, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. I've told you all the story in college of going through philosophy class 1310 at what used to be called Southwest Texas State University. Go Bobcats. Do we have any Bobcats in the house today? It's so pitiful whenever I do that because Bobcats have zero school spirit, like zero. And so there's probably like 40 Bobcats in here and we're like, "Mm." right? 
And so anyways, I'm there. Dr. Zhu is my professor. And he uh, is, I will use the word hellbent on making sure that everybody in that 300 plus student auditorium knows that to believe in the claims of Jesus is absolute idiocy and you would be a fool to ever believe that. And so throughout the class, he would make a statement that would be false about Christianity. And I had the gift of having a girl from our college ministry that sat behind me. And every time he would say something negative, she would kick my chair. And you know what that meant, right? Man up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even, I don't even know what he said. I really wasn't paying attention, right? And so I would raise my hand. And at first, he would call me very quickly, and I'd say, uh, uh, I don't agree with what you said about Christianity there, uh, um, you know, but that's all. You know, and I would sit back down, because I, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't really know what to say, okay? Um, and as the semester went on, I'd raise my hand, then he wouldn't call me, because he knew he said something about Christianity, and that guy's going to raise his hand. And so like 15, 20, 30 minutes go by, finally he's like, okay, he won't give up, like... Let me call on him. And I started to like be strengthened in like, how am I going to respond to this? How am I going to respond to this? But what I didn't tell anyone is down in the depths of my heart, it was di- I was diving into deep doubt. Because as I'm battling these lies, constant lies, I am just gripped by like, what if that's right? I mean, what if I am a fool for believing this? And um, I did... I've told you the story. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Our church had a prophetic conference going on at that time. So there's guys that have come in from out of town. They have prophetic giftings. And I'm going because that's exciting. Like prophecy? What? Crazy. So I go in and they have a like worship time. And I'm just kind of sitting there in the rows like you guys, just kind of watching what's going on. And they begin a ministry time. And one of the guys steps up and he says, someone here is struggling in their mind. And I'm like, this is exciting. Like, who's going to stand up right now? <laughs> like, what's going to go down? And the Holy Spirit just prompts me, and I cannot escape the fact that I know that I know that I know that he's talking about me. And no one else gets up. So I'm like, dang it. It's me. <laughs> and so I get out. And I start walking to the front and this guy doesn't know me. He's probably like from the UK somewhere. He does not know anything about me. He's never seen me before. And I kneel at the front and he's, he starts to pray. He says, bring your questions to God. You're trying to answer the questions without him and then come to him. The Lord says, I can handle your questions. Bring them to me. And I was so strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. Because when the Lord speaks that way, that's what it does to us. It reminds us that he knows out of a planet of seven point whatever billion people on planet Earth right now that there's, there's little old me and he sees me. And he knows, and he cares. And that's what we see. And I I end the story this way. 
towards the end of the semester, he'd shared something. It was misquoting a scripture. And when he said it, I was like, oh, yeah, I am, I'm an idiot for believing that. If that's what it really says. Thankfully, I had my Bible in my bag. This was before the iPhone was in my pocket with every scripture, right? I couldn't Google it at that point. So I get out my concordance in the back, and I'm getting to that verse, and I'm trying to find it. And I'm like, oh, he just said it wrong. And so I stood up, and of course, it took, takes 30 minutes for him to call on me, right? And I finally stand up, and I've got my Bible, and I said, sir... I think you misread the passage. Let me just read what it says. And I read word for word what it says. And I said, so when you read it, you can see how your point doesn't really work. And he says, I stand corrected. And 300 plus college students are like, yeah. I mean, they erupt in applause. Like I didn't expect it. I was kind of like, whoa, this is insane. But God provided God provided in that moment. So we see the power of prophecy to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. The next way is it, it confirms or reveals a ministry gift or calling. Let me say that again. It confirms or reveals a ministry gift are calling. We see this in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. They're in Antioch. Uh, Paul and or Saul and Barnabas, he's going by Saul there, are, are there, and the elders are praying. They're fasting and praying together, right? And there are prophets among them. And it says, the Spirit of God said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Spirit reveals to these guys that are there praying, and it says, set apart for me these guys to the work to which I've called them. And what I know is happening is that Saul and Barnabas have had this burning thing in their heart of like, we're called to go. Like, we're supposed to be going, and, and, and we're, we, we need to be sent out. And the Spirit speaks and reveals something that confirms it. And that's, that's a powerful role of prophecy is that it confirms something that God has been revealing to us. 1 Timothy 4, verses 14, Paul says this to Timothy, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through what? Prophecy. Huh. With the laying on of hands by the council of elders. We see prophecy was used to reveal, right? A ministry gift or calling. Lastly, Prophecy we see used to arm believers for spiritual warfare and spiritual endurance. 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 19. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. So that, get this, by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked their faith. So, what he says is, Timothy, my son, don't forget the words that were confirmed, that were spoken by prophecies, and recall them. Like, rehearse them to yourself. Remind yourself. Here's something that I do. If, if, I, if I have someone give me a word, I write it down. I use, a, a, I use a, a note app called Evernote, and I love it because I can search you know, all the notes 
and I can find exactly that moment. I'll put a date on there. And I'm, what I'm doing is I'm just putting it there. And it, it's a way that I test it. I'm saying, Lord, are, are you going to bring this to pass? Or it might be something where I'm like, I need to remind myself, you spoke about this and I don't ever want to forget it. I don't ever want to forget it. He doesn't say, Timothy, I just want you to recall all the Bible verses you've ever read before in your life. Interestingly, he encourages him to recall the prophetic words. And here's why that's important. Some of you think that to be into the whole prophetic thing is to be like not into the Bible anymore. And we know that over and over, Paul tells Timothy, preserve sound doctrine, preserve sound teaching, which means that prophecy and a stronghold on your theology and your doctrine to have a grip on that, my friends, they are not incompatible. In fact, I talked about last week, we're, we are desiring to live as a church at the intersection of word, deed, and power. That's what we want. So they're not inconsistent. And I just want to say this, that there are many varieties of ways that the Lord brings prophetic utterance that um, have the same similar purpose and content, but they may not be included in that list to warn of impending persecution, insight that draws unbelievers to faith in Christ, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting another person, or confirming or revealing a ministry gift or calling, or arming believers for spiritual warfare and spiritual endurance. So who can prophesy? Let's talk about that for a second. Who gets to do that? I have a slide for this, James. I think this is important for us to understand. Any believer is a potential candidate for a prophetic revelation, but not every believer has a prophetic gifting. If you're a believer in Christ today, you are a candidate for a prophetic revelation. Here's why that's important. There are times well, God will do something out of the ordinary in your life, and it will be one of the spiritual gifts that we've been talking about on the list, right? And it's going to be for that moment, for that situation, you're going to be like, man, the Lord just showed that to me. The Lord revealed that to me. The Lord used me in that way, and I've never experienced that before. And it was for a moment, it was for a purpose, and it was powerful, but that may never, ever happen again in your life. Or it may happen like years later, and you're like, that's just not normal for you. When we talk about having a gift, it's where that becomes a more common experience for you, where the Lord is revealing something to you. And by the way, each one of you have something that is more common to you. A manifestation has been given to each one, but that does not mean because it happened once, it should happen every time. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay, it's good, good to know. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse one, Paul says this, and this is interesting. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. So if you're here today and you've been listening to this series and you're like, eh, great, you guys are into that, cool, whatever, not for me. Well, I just want to say that if you're going to take the scripture as the word of God, you're going to bring it into your life and obey it, Paul's telling us, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. 
which means that every believer in Christ should be asking, Lord, what gift are you wanting to use and express in my life? I want to know. I'm eager for that. But then he says this, especially that you may prophesy. He singles out this gift and says, look, I want you to pursue all the gifts, please. Like, ask the Lord, pursue that. Lord, what are you doing? But I just want you to ask, especially for prophecy, which means that every believer should be doing that. And so who can prophesy? We're all candidates, but not everyone of us have gifts, but we should all be pursuing saying, Lord, would you reveal what you want to reveal to me so that maybe someone else could be like me, standing the carpet, sobbing on the floor because Jesus knows me and he cares. Now, this is the incredibly important part. Let's talk about how do we use it appropriately. I just want to go to 1 Corinthians 14, 26, and then we're going to go through 29 through 33. And I have this on the screen for you. And this is Paul giving them some handles to hang on to when they're using this in the church. And let me just preface it with this. When he's talking to the church, he's probably envisioning more like a house church, okay? Which, by the way, is a perfect place for us to begin to, to seek out, Lord, how do you want to reveal things to us in this small group setting? Does that make sense what I'm saying? We, 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 should, we should look to express it probably there more uh, regularly than we would in just a large gathering like this. Here's what he says. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Does that describe your, your group? You all come in like... Boy, do I have something for you today. Blah, 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 blah. No, none of you? Well, you pray about that. <laughs> Everything is to be done for the building up. That's important. Verse 29. We're going to skip ahead. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should, what's that word? Evaluate. Verse 30. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, some of you have taken that last verse and you've used it for all kinds of things. When I was in the Baptist church and somebody would raise their hands, People be like, oh my gosh, we have a hand raiser in the front. Don't they know that that is so disorderly and so distracting, right? Have you all ever been in church like that before? Yeah? You're all like, man, I'm not even going to admit it to you. Or some of you have walked into your closet and you said, I'm going to fix this because God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And my house is disordered. And I, you know, I just remember the context of where this verse was. He's talking about using the spiritual gifts. And he's describing a church that was so spiritually vibrant that everyone came in like, I feel like God's put something on my heart for this gathering right now. And he gives them some handles. And I think these are some important things for us to see. 
in verse 30, 30 through 32, he talks about this order that if someone is speaking and then another person has a revelation, they can actually stop their revelation and let the other person go that everyone might learn and be encouraged. He says the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophet, which means the spirit of God never overrides the human will in the giving of a prophetic word. Did you know that? So if you blurt something out, and you're like, the spirit made me do it. That doesn't actually hold up scripturally, okay? <laughs> because there's revelation, there's interpretation, and there's application. The Lord's going to give you the first part, but there's, there's a human element in the other two, okay? So we, we see that a prophetic word is not to be blurted out uncontrollably. We are, as a church, saying yes to risk-taking, meaning we have to sort of wade into this, and we're trying it out, like, oh, I feel like, this is weird, I feel like the Lord spoke to me about this, and I'm going to go to this person, and I'm going to take the risk, the R-I-S-K, I'm going to step out in faith, I'm going to say this, and if they look at me like I'm crazy, I'm going to be like, okay, well, I tried it. <laughs> and we're saying that's totally cool. We want more of that. Because that, that's actually a building up of our faith that we're learning together how do we use the gifts that God has put inside of us. We're saying yes to that, but we're saying no to disorder and chaos. Okay? So we, we don't just blurt things out. The second, prophetic words are to be evaluated. Why is that important? The argument that says the revelatory gifts of the Spirit are no longer active in the church says this, that a revelation must be equal in authority to Scripture. But what we see in the New Testament is that they did not view prophetic words as equal in authority to Scripture. Because never once are we, said, are we told to take the, the words of Scripture and then to evaluate them and say, was that good or not? Was that true or not? Should I obey it or not? No, it says that we are to receive this as the inspired word of God that we are taking and we're saying, this is truth and I will live by it because I know it's true. No question. But when a prophetic word is, is spoken, Paul says, don't do that. Rather, evaluate. Evaluate. They're to be evaluated. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he gives them this uh, instruction. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But test all things. Evaluate it. And then he says, Hold on to what is good. But there might be some things that you don't need to hold on to that are prophesied. Amen? We have to evaluate them. Now, I know there are times when a prophetic word is just wrong. It's just off. Um, we were, uh, Casey and I were at a, uh, a concert. It was a Christian concert. Worship team's playing. And there are people moving around the room that are part of like a, a prophetic ministry and this girl taps us on the shoulder, and she's like, hi. And we're like, hi. She's like, uh, are you pregnant? And Casey's like, I don't think so. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I don't think so. And um, the girl says, I think the Lord has that for you. And then she said something else. I think it's a boy. We've not had a boy. We've not had another baby since that time. Okay? 
Sometimes prophetic words are wrong. Now, if Dave is playing guitar over here and he misses a note, do we come up on the stage and break his guitar and send him out of here and be like, you're a false guitar player? No, that's ridiculous, right? That would be like not in line with, the, with what the scriptures teach. Did you know that the only time that we use the word false prophet is when somebody is denying the foundational truths about Jesus Christ, especially the, the, that he was God incarnate in flesh among us. So when somebody misses a word, we don't break the guitar and be like, you're a false prophet. No, the Bible doesn't even say to discipline them or to have them you know, leave the church to be excommunicated. It never says anything about that. Rather, it simply says, just evaluate it. Just test it. It doesn't mean you despise prophecies or think that's a false prophet. We never ever use that term except for a person who is denying the foundational truths about Jesus Christ. That is so important. Um, I was on a Zoom call last week with a seasoned prophet who's incredible ministry, and he trains others in prophetic ministry. And I was just asking him questions like, how do you know when you have a prophetic word? And, you know, what is that like for you? And how did you know that you were, you know, you had the gift? And, and he said this, um, he, he had someone prophesy over him that he was going to prophesy. He was like, okay. And then he found prophetic people and he followed them around. And at the end of their, you know, their ministry time, he would say, I want to do what you do. And they would say, well, come on. And he would ask him questions. And he asked this one man this. He said, hey, I, I want to learn to do what you do. And the man looked at him and said this, if you're always afraid to get it wrong, you'll never get it right. What a powerful thought. If you're always afraid to get it wrong, you'll never get it right. Now, I was thinking about how many places can we apply that to our lives, right? If you're always afraid to get it. And, and here's the thing. Because prophecies are, we are commanded to evaluate them, here's what that means. There's freedom for us as followers of Jesus when we sense the Lord placing something on us, we can speak it without fear, knowing that the purpose of this is to be evaluated. I'm not speaking scriptural truth to you that you need to go apply to your life right this second. I'm just revealing something I felt the Lord put on my heart and I'm praying it's gonna strengthen, encourage, and comfort you. And if it doesn't, we can just let go of what's not good. Does that make sense? That actually dispels fear for us when it comes to using the gifts that God has put in the church. Um, this man also said this, and I thought this was important. He said, no moves, no mates, no dates, no babies. No moves, no mates, no dates, no babies. You know why? So much damage has been done. So much damage has been done. People said, the Lord's calling you to wherever. Go now. Hmm. Let me test that one. You're going to get married tomorrow. Mm. Oh, let me test that one. You're going to have a baby right now. Mm. Let's test that one, okay? No moves, no mates, no dates, no babies. That's from a seasoned prophet 
who has seen the Lord speak over and over again. We must evaluate them. Okay, third, prophetic words are for building up and not tearing down. Never ever cloak personal critique in a prophetic word. If you have a concern about a person, you just go tell them, hey, I have a concern about something and I just want to share it with you. And please, like, tell me if I'm, if I'm missing this. But never say, thus saith the Lord. Don't do that. Set, or the next one is this. Never say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, avoid overly dramatic language. Avoid overly dramatic language, okay? In Acts 21, Agabus is a seasoned prophet, and he says, the spirit of the Lord says. I think that's a little bit strong for anyone of us to be starting with that day one. The spirit of the Lord says, thus saith the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament prophets, they said things like that. The functioning of prophecy in the New Testament is a bit different than that. And here's how I recommend that you use it. If you feel like the Lord has put something on you, you say, I sense that the Lord might be saying, you're going to soften the language going to avoid the big dramatic stuff and just say, I just have this impressed upon me and I want to share it with you. That's all, that's all it takes. Avoid the dramatic language. And then um, don't be overly dependent on prophetic revelation to make daily routine decisions. Amen? This is not the Christian horoscope. I need the word today. Do I put on my shoes? Lord, are you there? How about my shirt? Yes? No? Should I eat a meal? No? No, no, no. Just don't, we don't need that. You don't, you don't need that. You have the word of God. God's giving you common sense. You have a community of people around you that love you. If you're in a house church, right? you, have, you have community around you. You have people around you that you can say, ha, huh, you know, I just had a feeling about this, and what do y'all think about that? They'd be like, that's dumb. Don't ever do that. Or they'd be like, yes, praise God. That's awesome. He's all over that, right? We don't need a Christian horoscope to make daily decisions. Prophetic words are meant to confirm something that God's already been doing in you, okay? Let's use it appropriately. Now, I want to talk about this other gift real fast, before we close, it's distinguishing between spirits or discerning spirits. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's talk about that for just a second. There is some debate on what that means. Some would say because it's, it's right after prophecy and distinguishing between spirits that maybe he has a mind that um, you would, you would you know, judge a word that someone spoke and you're discerning it out. Okay, that's, that's, that's uh, one way that people understand that. I don't think that's what Paul is saying, and it has to do with the, the original language of distinguishing between spirits. Now, that word spirit is pneuma, and pneuma was used in multiple ways throughout the scriptures, and the New Testament writers would, would translate it based on the context, and one way was that it was to describe the work of the Holy Spirit, the capital S, spirit. Another way is that it was describing the human spirit, like the spirit of man. 
And lastly, it's used of angelic spirits or demonic spirits. So when we talk about discerning of spirits, I have a, a definition. It's the spirit-empowered ability to distinguish between works of the Holy Spirit, works of a demonic spirit, or works of the human spirit. I think that is more consistent with how that word pneuma is used in the New Testament. And I think this plays out in people's lives today. We're seeing uh, this used in the body of Christ even now. Discernment asks the question, what are we really dealing with here? What is the true cause of this? What is motivating this person, this behavior, this attitude? Like, what's underneath this? Because there's, that's what discernment is asking all the time. What's really going on here? In 1 John 4, uh, he gives this incredible um, set of scriptures. I'm, I'm going to read verse 1. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every pneuma spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And he's speaking to all believers, and he says, look, every one of you, you need to test the spirits. And people are saying all kinds of stuff right now, and you need to make sure that you're discerning what's from God, and what is from man, and what is from the devil. Like, we need to do that work. Test the spirits. However, not every believer has the gift of discerning spirits. Every one of us is called to test, but there are some of you that God has given a spiritual gift of discerning what is really going on here, what is underneath this, what is happening, what's motivating this. It's a discernment gift, and you see it on a regular basis in your life. Let's just real quick look at where do we see this happening in Scripture. In John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, uh, it says this about Jesus. He's in Jerusalem during the Passover festival. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all because he did not need anyone to testify, to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus is in a place, he's ministering, signs and wonders are happening, people are believing, but he will not entrust himself to them because he discerns something about this group of people, I do not entrust myself to them. And if you have a gift of discernment, you have just an uncanny ability to know that, okay? In Acts chapter 8, there's another example of, uh, of Peter and Simon the sorcerer. And, and Simon sees that whenever they lay hands on people, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, I want to do that. Like, I will pay money to get that. Like, that would be really, really good if I could do that. And Peter discerns his heart in that moment. And he rebukes him harshly and says, you need to repent. You need to pray that God will forgive you for that. He discerns the heart. He knows what's motivating Simon. It's not a godly desire for ministry. It's an ungodly desire for gain. Now, what is the purpose 
of discernment. What purpose does it serve? It helps us know when we're dealing with falsehood. Second, it helps us avoid deception. Third, it helps us identify and deal with root causes and issues. That's very important. And it informs our prayers. I'll share a story. Um, we used to be in college ministry at Texas State University. We were there, Casey and I, for uh, years is serving in college ministry there. It's an amazing season of ministry. Casey had a, a girls' group, like a house church, and um, there was a girl that started coming to that group, and this girl told Casey and others, I have a condition, and it's like uncurable, it's unsolvable, and it causes me to go into these seizures, and when I, like, I can't stop it. And so they're praying for her, and I believe uh, there was a moment where uh, she was with some girls from that group, and she started to have seizures, and um, it was very, very scary. Casey took the girl to our prayer ministry team that we had at our church, and they prayed for her and just prayed for this girl, like heartfelt prayer that, you know, that God would heal this disorder, that he would stop the seizures from happening. Well, it just kind of kept happening. And finally, it happened again, and a girl from the group was with her and pulled her cell phone out and called her mom and said, hey, your daughter is, is having these like seizures right now, and I don't know what to do. And she goes, oh, no, she's doing it again. And the young girl was like, what do you mean she's doing it again? She said, honey, she doesn't have a disorder. This, she started doing this years ago. We don't know why, but it's like she's, she's seeking attention from people by having this disorder in her life. And so Casey hears about this. She feels terrible for taking the girl to our prayer ministry team because it was a fake issue anyways, right? And she goes to the leader and says, like, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have brought her to you. And the leader said this, when we were praying for her, I sensed a lying spirit. Meaning like, I knew there was something going on here and it just, it didn't sit right with me. It was a gift of discernment about what was motivating that young lady. Um, I want to share another story. This was a, a prophecy story. And so I'm on the Zoom call with this guy, his incredible ministry in the UK, uh, primarily. And he had been invited to a conference by a friend. And so he's going to the conference. And however, his friend's not with him. He's going to come later. And the conference is going. And it's going great. And like uh, the friend never shows up that day. And he's like, you set this whole thing up for me. Like, like where, where is this guy? So he calls him. He's like, where are you, man? And the guy said, um, I felt like the Lord was telling me that I need to go find my brother on the way there. And so I called him, and he happened to be walking around a park, and he needs a prophetic word right now. And so this guy's like, uh, okay. Where are you? Gets the address, goes there, and he's like, no pressure, right? Your buddy's like, you need a word now, okay? So, by the way, I don't encourage you to go to people and say, I need a prophetic word right now, okay? This is not helpful. There's a lot of pressure that comes with that. So he gets there, and he's praying. He's like, Lord, oh, I don't know. Like, I've, I don't know what to say to this guy. Like, is there anything? And then the Lord started to reveal some things to him. So he got there, and the guy is definitely kind of despondent. Um, his friend's there with him, and he says, uh, 
so I, I just sense the Lord saying, like, in 90 days, there's going to be a, a drastic turn in your life. And when that happens, don't stop. The Lord says accelerate. Just accelerate at that turn. And he's looking at the guy, and you can tell, like, this means nothing to him. Like, he's, the guy's still, like, despondent, you know. It's like, okay, um, well, God bless you. He turns to leave, and then something stops him. He goes, oh, by the way, the Lord says, you didn't make a mistake. And then he goes. And as soon as he says, you did not make a mistake, the guy just almost, like, falls back up against the wall. And he's like, okay, I think that connected with whatever this guy was going through. They didn't tell him. His brother said, look, um, I'll have him call you. He, he's going to take, take some time to process that, but I'll have him call you. So like months go by, like several months go by, finally the guy calls him and says, um, I want to tell you about that day. I was walking around the park and I was so defeated in my marriage that I was, I was ready to leave my wife. And so I'm walking around the park and I'm just, I'm like ready to leave my wife. And my brother comes and he's talking to me and he's trying to help me process that. And, and my brother asked me the question, what would it take for you to not leave your wife? And he would say, God, and he said to his brother, God would have to come and tell me himself that I didn't make a mistake marrying her. So when you told me that, I knew God was speaking through you. Oh, and by the way, like on day 89 of the day that you said that the, you know, like the bosses at my job had decided to give me a promotion, and it was like triple my income promotion. It was massive turn in my life. But... Because it was Friday when they decided, they didn't tell me till Monday, which would technically have been like day 92. So do you think that was what God was talking about? He said, this was a British guy, and he's like, they're very precise about things, and they're like, false prophet, and it wasn't day 90, it's day 92. <laughs> he said, yes, I think that's what God was referring to. I tell you that story, because over and over again, what I've seen is that prophecy reveals Jesus in a way that is just so right on point for a person, okay? Right on point. And we are to be people who desire spiritual gifts, discernment, prophecy, the ones we're talking about today. And then we're to use them for the common good, to build up others. And if there's anything in you that has been resistant to being open to what God would want you to be used by him for, I just want to ask you to challenge that part of your own heart. If I were to come to you on your birthday and say, I've tailor-made the most amazing gift for you, I thought about who you are and how you're wired and, and what, what you like and what you don't like, and, and I just, I thought, man, this is going to be the perfect gift for you, and if I gave that gift to you and you were like, mm, no thanks. How would I feel? But God has put something in you 
on the day that you were born again, he, he created this incredible opportunity for you to be used by him. And what we're asking all of us as a church to do is say, God, would you show me and would you use me? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.